for having me. Um, thank you, Taylor Street Baristas, for the great lunch and the great um, space. I really appreciate the amazing, like, you know, you're serving people that work in the coffee industry and, like, you are here working while we're here not working. And um, I think a lot of us kind of felt a little bit anxious about taking out the trash and the recycling and seeing somebody else do that. I just wanted to pitch in, but thanks for, thanks so much for your help. Let's go. My talk is called Beyond Quality. Uh, rethinking what enables specialty coffee or what matters to specialty coffee. Um, this is a topic that I've been thinking about for a long time. Um, I have a history of, um, as a barista and a roaster and a coffee quality expert, expert, um, cupper, judge, um, working at various uh, segments of the coffee industry. And, um, you know, I started at a company based in Ithaca, New York called Gimme Coffee. And my, as a coffee buyer and the coffee director there, um, really thought a lot about what actually matters uh, to the coffee industry and what role quality plays in that. And um, as somebody that started um, in real direct opposition to uh, standards and uh, certifications, I now work for a standard setting organization and work in coffee development and really see the value of that. So that's how I wanted to frame my talk today. And I first want to talk about the Good Food Awards. Um, our blind tasting was last weekend um, in Oakland, California. And there were about 200 entries. Uh, they vetted 160 samples uh, through the, the blind tasting process and were able to find the top three winners of the five regions throughout the United States as uh, defined by the Good Food Awards. Um, and they're beautiful coffees. There are a lot of great coffees on the table and some that, you know, just didn't make the cut for our segment of the, the judging population that thought, you know, this, what needs to be clean and sweet and, and really, um, exemplify something that tastes good. Um, I had been participating in the Good Food Awards as, a, um, as an entrant since 2011 uh, through Gimme Coffee. And I know that there's a lot of change that has been happening since day one for the Good Food Awards, where they're really trying to uh, deliver upon their mission of finding coffee that not only tastes good or products that, that taste good, but that are responsibly produced. And it's very difficult for them to verify coffee that is responsibly produced because this is coffee that is grown in really um, remote regions and there's a really long value chain. So compared to cheese and some of the pr preserves or some of the other categories, um, coffee and chocolate have always been these sort of like, well, what do we do with these, this process category? Um, especially when a majority of the market of the high quality coffee that is being entered doesn't have verification. So this year they caused a big ripple um, and changed one of the entrance criteria to, um, as many people know, uh, mandating that the coffee be certified from a number of different uh, standards platforms, including NOP Organic, Fair Trade, Rainforest Alliance, 4C, um, and a couple of other ones. And this, uh, there was a lot of backlash in the coffee community because of this. Uh, some people um, had public criticism of the awards, like they do every year. 
Uh, some actually wrote hate mail to some of the co-chairs and the chair of the Roasters Guild of America. And a lot of companies that were previous entrants and previous winners boycotted altogether. And I don't know necessarily where I stand on this issue. I see both sides of the story. But something that came out of this, um, this public criticism that is this continued narrative that I really wanted to address today, and that is that standards and certifications are antithetical to the progress of specialty coffee and quality. And I just don't believe that, and by the end of this talk, I hope you don't either. So throughout the different positions that I've occupied in the coffee industry, you know, from working in retail and roasting uh, to going to graduate school um, and being an academic and a researcher um, in the economic, um, like econometric analysis of uh, specialty coffee and more direct trade relationship supply chains, um, to being a volunteer for the SCAA and on the board of directors for the SCAA, uh, being a, a Q grader and assistant instructor, cupping judge, and now working for a development organization. Um, you know, the, the, the one role that I feel like I occupy the best right now is to, as a customer. Um, I moved to a city that I, I didn't know anybody uh, there, so I started frequenting coffee shops that I really thought had good values. Uh, started to um, integrate with their, with their buying teams and their uh, administration teams a little more and really understanding like what is currently happening for micro roasters when they're vetting coffee and when they're trying to, um, to have a different differentiation in their local market. So, you know, what matters to me has changed over time um, and the, when, when I get asked this question a lot from micro roasters and um, it's not just in Montreal, but it's, it's across the country, really, when I interact in different um, settings, is, you know, what can I do to have a bigger impact? I, I don't know. Um, and so I, thought, I think about what matters for the future of specialty coffee and what actually our goals are, and I've come up with three. And the first is that we ensure that coffee is profitable in the long run. And this is for every actor in the value chain, but it's especially important for the supply base and for coffee farmers. Um, we don't actually know what makes coffee profitable in the long run. Uh, there was a question in, um, to Matt, you know, what, is one of the, what, is, what are the top three things we don't know that we don't know? We don't know the cost of coffee. We don't know the true cost for regular commodity grade or even improving the value proposition for coffee farmers, how much more does it take, how much more investment do you need to make in order to produce a high quality coffee consistently, year over year, with all these other exogenous variables getting in our way? We don't know that cost, so we can't actually say whether or not it's profitable. And something that I've noticed as a customer and as someone has worked in coffee for a long time is this publishing of these transparency reports of our FOB prices. And FOB prices tell me nothing, or Farmgate prices tell me nothing about the profitability of coffee. All it tells me is the percentage of your retail price that is FOB or that is Farmgate. And so, you know, with this, this um, segment of the industry that boycotted the Good Food Awards by saying, well, we're paying a higher than fair trade price for coffee, we're paying a high price for coffee, we know the locational data, we know the history of the varieties of this farm, that doesn't tell me anything about you, know, you being able to verify that 
there are good practices in place that allow for, um, for more sustainable investment in the future. So keep that in mind as you're thinking about what matters for you. Um, the second thing that I think that matters for us is we reduce negative social and environmental impacts. And we can flip that and say that we promote positive social impact and positive environmental impact. Um, but the, the, the thing to keep in mind is, you know, if we don't understand about the profitability and we, of coffee and we don't know about the investments and the production methods that are going into um, producing coffee, then we don't actually know what the impact of producing higher quality coffee is. Um, we do want to reduce these negative externalities of, of, of social, you know, for, for social, it's, you know, things such as like wages for farm workers, um, benefits for farm workers, gender discrimination, um, you know, aspects like that that don't necessarily reach down into our values as coffee retailers and, and baristas so often. And when we say, when we make these anecdotal quotes or, you know, we tell stories about the farms that we're buying from, we don't actually know what those impacts are and whether or not these higher prices are actually doing something. Um, so this is something that I think that we should also explore a little bit more uh, and be a little more honest about the narratives that we're telling about our relationships, um, either with our importers, who are then have the relationships with the farms, or our direct relationships with the farms. So if anyone saw Klaus Thompson's talk from Tamper Tantrum in 2015, he does a really good job of um, really breaking out these two categories um, in a very farmer-focused, farmer-centric way um, and, and describing through the lens of generational succession some of the issues of profitability and climate change and diseases. Um, but one thing that he does leave out that is sort of the launch pad for the rest of the talk is this idea that the third goal for me is to align with other actors in the coffee value chain and to leverage the benefits and um, to leverage the investments that other actors that aren't just in the direct relationship, which would be importers, exporters, producers, aggregators, um, but to engage more with standards organizations that are setting up sort of the launch pad or the, um, an on-ramp to market access or uh, financial institutions, social lenders, root capital, Oiko Credit, people like this, who are actually making the investments into some of these coffee producing communities and cooperatives um, to allow them to, uh, to produce high quality coffee on a consistent basis and to decrease their cost of production. So, with that in mind, I do wanna play one thing, uh, one aspect of Klaus's talk at the end of it that, um, that really speaks to this last point. Um, and, you know, bless his heart, he, he, didn't, he wasn't prepared for this. He gave a great, brilliant talk. It was a great awareness for the, the people in the audience. I watch the talk all the time. I think it's wonderful. Um, and it's a great call to action for how we should be engaging a little bit more intentionally. Um, but the last question of this talk uh, really, really got me thinking about the need to address to the specialty community what it what it means to uh, to support and enable quality and market access. Hey, um, as much as I completely hear your um, your vision of basically changing our the way we do business to make sure that the producers um, profit from it more, 
Um, I was wondering if on your travels you've um, heard or seen of NGOs that have focused on coffee producers, coffee producing regions, and they're doing a good job? Yes, <clears throat> it's difficult. Um, I think I have a very mixed relationship to a lot of um, both NGOs and certifications and so on. Um, I think some of the, uh, the certifications have very good intentions, but they're not very beneficial to the farmers because they're, uh, they're, there's an amazing amount of administrative work that they have to do, and the return of investment for the farmers is very little. Um, last week I was at uh, Kiamabara, and they, uh, they told me they lost the FLO, the fair trade certification this year, um, because they just hadn't put in the paperwork, but they couldn't care less, because it had, it, like in their eyes, it hasn't meant anything in terms of, um, of real money back. There's, uh, there's some very good uh, groups out there that I think have done a great job. Uh, I'm not aware of all of them uh, by far, but TechnoSurf, for example, who have been a huge factor in driving um, small wet mills in Ethiopia. They also do a lot of farm education in Kenya. They, uh, I think they've been doing a really good job. But the problem sometimes with the NGOs is that at some point the funding stops, then they have to pull out. And if there's not a very clear strategy from that point for how the farmers is going to keep improving uh, and, and maintaining the work, then, uh, then sometimes things fall apart again. I mean, he's not wrong, but he's not right. And there's so much about the generalizations that he's making here um, based off his own experience, you know, and, and Gosh, I hope that nobody um, takes a video of me and then makes a talk off of that. Uh, but there's so much about it that, you know, the generalizations that become fact and really get you know, th these pervasive uh, statements throughout our industry um, that, you know, based off of one person's experience, um, really, really got me thinking that, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily uh, one one cooperative's fault that they weren't uh, benefiting from a system that is uh, structured to enable them to gain access to markets. Right? Sometimes things just aren't a good fit, and I can I can guarantee you that you know from seeing what happens when cooperatives get um, suspended and then decertified, it's not necessarily about just because they didn't put their paperwork in. Sometimes, and the majority of the time, it's because they are mismanaging their premium funds and the premium investment and the premiums that coffee roasters are putting into a system of faith that has a transparent method of, um, of reporting and of distributing funds that when cooperatives and when um, you know, other farms that are certified mismanage these funds, they lose their certification because this is the faith, this is the credibility of the system. So, if you think about that in that way, and I don't know the specific story of this cooperative, but you know, if there is, um, you know, if there is a mismanagement of funds and there's no system of accountability, where are your quality premiums going to? How do you actually know that the coffee that you're that you're paying a high premium for is is actually going back into the system of reinvesting in the farm, reinvesting in the community, and reinvesting in negative environmental impacts? So I wanted to scale out, I'm sorry, I'm sitting down. <laughs> Just got so comfortable. Uh, I really wanted to scale out and um, talk about coffee as an agricultural product 
um, in this world that is developed in the tropics, right? And, and really, the, one of the first things that I see when I see this map isn't just the coffee belt, but it's this, this it brings to mind the C word, <laughs> colonialism and wealth extraction. It makes me think that, um, that there are, um, there are uh, a lot of coffee producers, over 25 million coffee producers that are uh, growing coffee, not really able to aggregate it and not really able to invest in some of the things that the market is demanding of them. Um, these are coffee producers that exist and live in countries that have gone through significant structural adjustment since the 80s and the sort of liberalization of markets. Um, this is neo-colonialism. We exist in a coffee system that is still working on wealth extraction. And so one of the things that we're working on is making the system a little more equitable. Um, and we do that through one of the drivers being coffee quality. Um, but that's not the only thing. So there's a lot of other um, aspects to uh, making the system more equitable, making farmers a little more empowered, uh, decreasing their costs and getting the product out to market that has to come from beyond us, that has to come from beyond importers and exporters and micro roasters that are paying high quality or high premiums for quality coffee. Right, and so this is, coffee is not, doesn't exist in a vacuum. Um, and they, you know, they go through the same problems. The, the foreign direct investment goes through the same problems that you know, aggregators for corn and wheat and rice go through. It's, it's not that much different. The only difference is, is that we have these differentiating factors. The market has developed uh, beyond, um, beyond just looking at it as a pure commodity. And I think that's a good thing, but it's not the only thing. So one of the things that, that um, standards really do is enable access to markets. So when Klaus says that there's this administrative burden, I would call it administrative rigor that really allows um, organizations and farmer aggregators to gain access to markets that, you know, no one, is, no foreign direct investment is going to come in and work with an organization that is not organized, that does not have financial transparency, that has no system of accountability to uh, sending information and premiums and um, all of that to, to the farmer members. So this is one of the things that I think that we lose sight of, um, that this, this, these, these aspects of certifications and NGOs allow for this capacity to then invest in quality later. And so when we forget about that, uh, we just lose sight of what it takes um, and how expensive it is and how much risk we're, we're asking uh, farmers to take on by investing in quality without these social safety nets. And I'm not going to read you this entire quote, but this comes from a Huffington Post article that came out last year about the top 10 reasons why fair trade doesn't work. And I will tell you that it was written by a literature professor rather than an economics professor. Um, and that one of the reasons is not about fair trade, but it's about direct trade. And so these are the, the top aspects that I'm going to pull out of it is um, what direct trade really sort of symbolizes is, you know, the relationship with the coffee buyer and the grower for high price, for high quality, and a long-term relationship that has real value and it's more efficient. And this is a huge generalization. It brings to mind a lot of questions for me in terms of 
the definitions of some of these words, um, but it also has, um, there's no accountability, there's, there's no verification within this system that actually leads me to believe that this is true. But this is the dominant narrative in our industry. This is the dominant narrative that baristas also bless their heart, bless your heart. I've done it too. Like I have been steaming, <laughs> steaming milk, pulling a shot, dealing with microaggressions from coworkers, <laughs> and, trying, and trying to defend uh, a narrative from a coffee buyer that, that actually received information from an importer that they've never visited the farm before and you're telling a story about somebody else's life. Okay, and, and you know, the whole day today is about sort of thinking more deeply about this and, and to stop mythologizing our coffee industry so that we can have real conversations about what it means for coffee producers to profit and live and sustain. Sorry, I'm getting so emotional. <laughs> right, so a lot of us really think that um, coffee buyers, and this is definitely the way that I thought about it, was that your coffee quality enables you to participate in a market. And you receive, you receive premiums back that will then, re, you can reinvest into your farm. So that's what this flow chart is really about. You develop a coffee quality, you participate in a market, you have specific outcomes, um, and then you also get a premium that you reinvest. And it doesn't work that way. It doesn't actually work that way. There are supporters, enablers, standards, uh, certifiers, verification schemes, uh, financial institutions, governments, regulations that you can't control that help us determine whether or not we're actually having an impact on the social side, on the environmental side, and um, you know, for technology and innovation at the farm level. And so I don't want to be a downer the whole time. <laughs> I really would love us to think about what matters for our jobs and our businesses. And I know that there are so many people here that probably will never go to a coffee producing country that won't necessarily interact with coffee farmers. Um, but you know, there's, there's a lot of support out there. There are a lot of organizations that have data, that have access to information, and that you can leverage to create the impact that you so desire. Um, and so one of the things that I wish um, our industry would actually do, while nobody wants direct trade certification, nobody wants that, there are some shared principles that I think that we can all maybe commit to. Um, maybe not today, but like over time, I feel like we should be committing to some things that really matter for us. And the first is actionable transparency. This is not just, we know the variety of the farm, we know the farmer's story, uh, we know who we're buying from, um, you know, we know the FOB price. This is, this is information about what enables our value chain to succeed. What enables the farmers in our in our in cooperatives and um, even large-scale farms to invest more in quality? And here are the impacts that I want to have that that aren't based on anecdotal evidence, right? So if I'm even buying from a large farm and not even cooperatives, let's talk about a large farm for a second. What do we know about? their farm workers. Just because we say, hey, no, I talked to the farmer and he said that he's gonna, he's got good wages for his employees and they have the best food and that's why the, farms come, the farm workers come here. 
that is not, that's not anything that we can do with. We have to figure out more information. There, and if you can't do it because it's expensive, there are people that are working in these environments that can help. The second is credible accountability, not just for your suppliers, but for yourself and your own companies. And we talked about this a lot already this morning. But you know, there needs to be um, you know, more, I guess you would, it, it's not just like verification and, and validity, but you know, if I'm buying coffee from a, an importer that is vetting all of, my, all of my samples and they're just giving me a sell sheet with the price, um, and then they're giving me some information that also really tells me nothing about the impact that I'm having. What do we know about the, the farms that they're buying from and the communities that they're buying from? There are a number of, of coffees that I've seen in the past year that are coming from certified cooperatives, but they're being marketed as microlots, and there's really nothing wrong with that. But when these individuals say, oh, no, no, the farmer is great, the farmer does this, they're not involved in a cooperative. I said, yeah, they are. This is exactly the region. This is exactly the cooperative that they're part of. But they're not getting that information. That is like, <laughs> to me, that is missing the point completely. And that leads to the final principle that I think we need to have honest emotional equity. We need to tell the real story. And it can't just be the retailer and the roaster and the, and the farmer, and it's not even just the retailer, the roaster, the importer and the farmer, it needs to be a, a conversation about what really matters for our industry and what's gonna keep us thriving and surviving into the future. So, thank you. Take a seat. Um, amazing presentation. Uh, can we just do loads of talking after this? Because I've got so many questions from it. But I'm going to throw one at you, and it's kind of going right back to the beginning of the presentation where you talked about the uproar from the Good, the good Food Awards of these certifications coming in. Do you think that that is just an emotional response to what happened, or do you think that in the eyes of those people who were creating the, the hoo-ha, that the tools that are being asked to certify with aren't fit for the purpose of specialty coffee, because these tools weren't created for the specialty coffee so much, it's created much more for commodity coffee. Uh, w which do you think was the, the kind of the, the emotive part that got people up in arms? Um, I think that some, I think there was a lot of emotional reaction because uh, there were specific coffees that they wanted to enter with and maybe they just hadn't thought, they, they weren't expecting this change and so they hadn't had anything in stock and um, didn't want to focus on sourcing specifically for the Good Food Awards, something else, potentially. Um, I also do think that there is, you know, as I was, um, well I think I also know just because I've heard uh, the conversations that have happened, um, post that decision that, um, that yeah, there's this, that, that continued narrative that these certifications were enabled for, for, for commodity coffee and it has nothing to do with specialty coffee. Um, and I will say that, as Klaus said, NGOs and certifications, you know, they might not have been initially set up to, uh, to focus on coffee quality, they're focused on other things that enable access, that enable aggregation and decreased uh, production costs. Um, but 
the same goes for, I think, specialty coffee, is that we're focused too much on quality and we're not investing in social impact and we can't invest in social impact all the time because we just don't have that sort of readily available cash um, to do that. And so, you know, I, I just really hope that as, I actually I know that as time has gone by, standards and NGOs have been focusing more on on coffee quality and then coffee quality experts have been focusing more on what it means to produce higher quality coffee in a community that doesn't have access to water, right? And so you look at the Borderlands project and how they have really integrated with the market to produce an outcome rather than just focusing on um, cooperative development and governance and, um, and financial transparency. Uh, so. I think that there was an emotional reaction and that's fine. I think that we just need to change the response to that and see that. I also, you know, I, like I said, I don't fully agree with what they said and but I under, like what, what they did with the uh, changing in eligibility. But I understand that they're trying, they need to have accountability for their mission and uh, for who they are. So it's a risk, it's a risk mitigation strategy. And that's great, but I think for the future of coffee, we have to recognize that these things are coming together and, um, and we need to integrate more with the world that is enabling the quality rather than seeing it as something that's separate from us. So with the SCAA hat on, do you think there's a part for uh, the specialty coffee associations which are coming together to actually create that um, that marker that actually fits a specialty coffee pot to give something that's a, a tool for the job. Take the best parts of the fair trade, you know, of the Rainforest Alliance and all of these other things, but also put that quality part in. So as a specialty industry, we can get behind that. I mean, do you think that that's something that could be possible in the future? Yeah, and this is part of the work of the Sustainability Council of the SEAA, uh, which is merging um, with the International Development Council of the SEAE. And so what they do, uh, what we've done for the Sustainability Council, and all of you can go on the SEAA website and download these white papers, is really look at some actionable steps and some, some outcomes, some indicators to look at um, in your supply chains for, uh, for you know, water consumption and, and access to clean water for gender inclusion. Um, and for farm workers and, and coffee leaf rust. So we can just look at indicators and like have a common, common set of indicators to uh, review or to consider when we're making our purchasing decisions or holding our suppliers accountable. And I'm not just talking about suppliers on the farm level, I'm talking about suppliers on the importer level too. Um, you know, the ones that are saying that they are paying these great prices and they have these great relationships and you just have no idea. Um, so, there, there are things that I think these councils are doing to, um, to both do their own research, um, but also, you know, Kim Elena, uh, who's the director of sustainability for SCAA, um, part of her job is to really integrate with these global coffee platforms, including the global coffee platform, which just released an amazing report on all of the sustainability initiatives from a number of uh, private sector and public sector companies um, what they're investing in, how they're investing in training, what, the, what their uh, greatest outcomes are, or what their desired outcomes are, and how much they're spending in the process. So I think that this is, these are steps toward aligning, um, aligning both commercial and more specialty-based organizations on um, just how all of these other, uh, these activities that focus on, um, on uh, 
like organizational development really do enable quality at the same time. Um, and yes, standards have a lot to do to align as well because there's so much market confusion. Um, somebody the other day called me and said, hey, I, I'm applying for the business development job at Fairtrade in DC. Can you put in a good word for me? And I said, that's Fairtrade America. That's not Fairtrade USA. Let's have a conversation to talk about the difference. And yeah, there, there's a lot that needs to be done, I think, to reduce this market confusion. But I think overall, if you just kind of ignore that and you go on these, these uh, standards websites and you look at their compliance criteria, they're really fundamental to the future of our industry. We should go out to the audience. Has anybody got a question that they'd like to ask? Great talk, loved it. Um, one thing that really stood out for me is your story about steaming milk and dealing with microaggressions and trying to explain anything to anyone, you know, especially to a consumer. And I think that quality has been this um, crutch or this tool that we give to the front lines of coffee, the people who actually interact with consumers, as this easy way to explain really complex things. You know, someone comes in the door and they're like, I need a fair trade, rainforest certified, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, coffee. And it's a complicated discussion as to what you do or actually don't want in your coffee. And people, I think, just jump to quality because they say, well, you know, we can fix the world if people grow tastier coffee and get more money for it. And I think that that kind of, um, it gets into the things people have against certifications. It's just the, it's the easiest criticism is, well, they're not about quality. You know, so I think that this overarching idea of quality is the first tool that we give customer service people to change all sorts of issues about coffee. I'm wondering if you have any ideas how we can enable people to talk about sustainable coffee and about coffee for the future without having to rely on this you know, simplification of it's just all about quality. Yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously there are a lot longer conversations than you can have in 30 seconds at 7.30 in the morning. Um, but, you know, I will say that I do understand, I understand the, the, the position of opposition to, from, from a lot of high quality focused cafes to certifications um, because it's, it's a way to differentiate yourself in that really short, brief period of time that you have to differentiate yourself. And as we all know, like quality is, is not objective. And um, you know, if you feel like something is high quality and the customer does not, or you, know, you're, you didn't execute a shot very well or something like that, you know, there's there's so many different variables that can um, that can sort of disc discredit what you're saying about coffee quality and what you're doing. Um, I don't actually have an answer to you for for the way that we can move forward with this. And this is, um, but what I would say is that if we do start thinking about you know shared principles for our industry that look beyond quality and think of of quality as a driver to change. Um, just one, then um, it will change the way that we talk about it. I don't know how, but I just really do feel that you know if we if we change the way we think about it, we'll change the way we talk about it. And it needs to be integrated into training programs from the SCAA, which has right now we're doing a review of their um, their whole coffee foundations, uh, which I helped write. You know, I helped write a lot of these classes, and now I'm going back and editing. 
uh, with a group of people from the Sustainability Council to really integrate sustainability principles and do sort of a 101 on, you know, here's, here's what it means for uh, us to be able to participate in this market in the future. Um, so I think once we sort of get back to the ground level on, on that, but we also just have to stop saying on, you know, these things that aren't true about, you know, sustainability through quality and quality premiums. Chance for one more. Hey. Hi. Hey. Thanks. Thanks. Um, uh, I was kind of struck by, I guess, like a big part of what you're saying is we've got a pretty narrow definition for quality, right? Um, and I think that in general, Specialty Coffee tries to work really, really hard to sort of communicate its perception of quality to a consumer. Really hard, right? And I think more often than not, that's like a pretty hard to relate to standard of or definition of quality. You know, it's like, hey, like there's degrees of how much better coffee can taste, and that's a really challenging thing for a person to sort of like get into. So I think we're already pretty accustomed to fighting a kind of like uphill battle as far as like communicating the value of a thing, and we're using quality as the tool to communicate that value. And I feel like what you're talking about is like a very narrow definition of quality that we have. Like I, I would argue that we're kind of just nailing it down to like flavor in a cup, right? Mm -hmm. um, and you're suggesting that there's a lot more to quality than that is kind of my takeaway. So I, I'm curious what you think uh, <coughs> about how harmful our narrow perception of quality is to coffee at large. Well, I don't know if it's necessarily harmful, but you know, there is, there is this aspect that the whole world is watching us and uh, that they're trying to mimic our models, um, but maybe at a higher scale. Um, and that, you know, a lot of the narrative that we're seeing is trying to be replicated at, at like sort of a larger scale. Um, and that we are doing, we are doing a bad job, even if we're doing a good job communicating quality to customers, um, that we're doing a bad job communicating uh, value um, because, you know, when, when people see a $5 cup of coffee, they don't necessarily think that it has anything to do with the high quality coffee. They think it has something to do with our, um, you know, the way that we live and who we are and our identities more than anything else. That's, that's how I feel about it. Um, whereas, I, you know, if, if we had some some real value attributed to what it like what it is that we are why we're charging a certain amount um, if you could say to a customer that says you're too expensive i'm going to go with this other guy and you say well actually we're not more expensive we are cheaper it's just that we're paying our farmers more and this is the outcome of the work that we do um, you know that's a whole different story um, I do think that what is harmful is that our sort of narrow definition or our focus on, uh, you know, it's micro lots and, and uh, really high end quality, which doesn't exist in a large scale, is, is detrimental to scale. Um, you know, we need, the, we, when, when there's 25 million farmers in the world or so, you know, 25 roughly, um, and it's estimated that 70 to 75 percent of all of coffee's production comes from small-scale farmers that are growing on less than 10 hectares. Um, and a majority of those are growing on less than two hectares. Um, so 
there's just not opportunity for for all of these producers to gain access to the market and gain value in the market and to upgrade through like physical strategies of um, you know infrastructure and, and producing higher quality physical and sensorial coffee. So we have to figure out a way to aggregate them and um, distribute the benefits throughout. I mean, that's the, that's the fastest way of, of scaling your impact. So I think that in that way, our narrow focus is um, is detrimental to that. <laughs> I think we're good to go, are we? Great. Cool. Colin and Nuno, ladies and gentlemen.